September 11th, uh, 2021, uh, it marked the 20th anniversary of the worst terrorist attack in American history. Uh, on that day in New York, in Pennsylvania, at the Pentagon, uh, thousands of people gathered uh, for special ceremonies. Uh, there were plaques revealed. There were uh, people honored for what they did on that day. And in each of those spots, at the, at the World Trade Center, uh, at the Pentagon, and in that field in Pennsylvania, there stand memorials to those people who lost their lives on that terrible day. Now, a memorial is an opportunity that we have through a, a place, through an experience. It is an opportunity to remember the life of someone important to us and to celebrate everything that they have lived for. Now, we just, of course, finished the, the Christmas season. And for the last four weeks, uh, we've been stressing and focusing on what Christmas is truly about. And Christmas, it, it is a time for family. It is a time for tradition. It is a time for you know festivities and celebration. But Christmas is really a time for us to remember what Jesus came for. Yes, to focus on the fact that he came, but he didn't just come to teach us valuable lessons. He didn't just come to lead a good life and give us a moral example. He came for a purpose. He came on a mission to redeem mankind. And the Lord's Supper is a, a time that we remember and a time we celebrate, not, that, not just the fact that he came, but we remember and celebrate his life, his death, and his resurrection, and what it means for us. We celebrate what it has done for us. In 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Paul speaking here, he goes, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, how Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That, what, what Paul really, what he kind of gives a summary of or a synopsis of right there is the gospel. The life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the gospel. That's what the gospel is all about. It's all about that Jesus came, lived a perfect, sinless life that we could have never lived. He died in our place, died for us, died the death we should have died, took the wrath of God that was due us, was buried in a borrowed tomb, and then three days later rose again to prove he was God in the flesh and to redeem us to God the Father. And the Lord's Supper is a time for, yes, us to remember that, but it's also a time for us to celebrate that, to celebrate that Jesus became sin for us, to celebrate that Jesus took the wrath of God for our sin, to celebrate that Jesus died in our place and rose again to redeem us. Now, the night before the crucifixion of Jesus, Jesus met with his disciples in the upper room, and he, he met with them to observe 
the Passover meal, the Passover feast. And the Passover was another time of memorial for the Jews. It was a specific time they set aside every year to remember what God had done for them when they were slaves in Egypt. How God had sent the plagues to break the heart of Pharaoh. And finally on the 10th plague, God sent the death angel through uh, Egypt in every house that didn't have the blood of the lamb put on the doorpost. The firstborn was, was killed or died in that night. It was a tragic night for all the Egyptians, but a wonderful night for the, for the Israelites because their children were spared because they applied the blood to their door. And so because of that, they were freed. And so every year they would get together and they would have this really intricate meal. It's called a Seder meal. And I've, I've, we've talked about it before. We've studied it before. I'm, I really am, am looking forward. One day I would like to have uh, a, a believing Jew uh, come and kind of perform the Seder meal for us because it's a wonderful uh, picture of what, G, of what God did for Israel. It's got the bitter herbs and a, a hard-boiled egg and uh, just a lot of stuff. And all of them are very meaningful and all of it's very, very powerful. And this Seder meal... During this time, or even today, it lasted for hours. And it wasn't like our Thanksgiving meals or our Christmas meals. We come together, we sit down, and we fellowship and talk and have a good time and laugh. And it was, it was very planned out. And they would have a prayer. They would explain what something meant, especially it was very important for children they would have little games for the kids to play, uh, to remember and to learn about what God had done for them. And games like, like hide the cracker, which sounds stupid to us, but it was very powerful for them. And they would, they would really take some time and explain to the children and explain to the younger generation what they were remembering and why. And they would have these elaborate ceremonies and they would pray and they would eat and they would drink. And it was just a beautiful time of memorial. But when the disciples get with Jesus in the upper room, he doesn't do any of that. They're expecting it. They're expecting the prayers and the, the unleavened bread and the, the bitter herbs and all that. But he doesn't do any of that. Instead, he gives them a new form of remembrance, a new memorial that they are to perform to not remember what God did for Israel in the Old Testament, but to remember what God did for mankind through the gospel. He gave them a new practice to celebrate, to remember their deliverance, not from slavery, but their deliverance from the grave, their deliverance from hell, their deliverance from the power of the enemy. Now, in the early church, the Lord's Supper was a, a precious time. Because remember, they're, they're celebrating the Lord's Supper. They're re observing the Lord's Supper. And many of the people who are there observing, especially the disciples who were leading, they were there with Jesus in the upper room. They're remembering the life of Christ. They, they were witnesses to what Jesus had done. So the early church, the Lord's Supper, was a, was a powerful, precious time that they would put aside to remember Jesus to celebrate the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. But for many believers today, the Lord's Supper has become a ritual. It's become a religious practice that we 
go through to, to feel good about ourselves, to feel like we've punched our spiritual time clock. But Paul teaches us that the Lord's Supper is not a religious ritual. It's not just something we rush through to say we've done it. It is an important time to remember and celebrate the gospel. So get in your Bibles in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to start reading in verse number 23. Now these are, if you've been in church any amount of time, these are very familiar verses to you. But we're still going to look at them and we're still going to learn from them. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23, the Bible says, for I, have received, for I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my body. This do as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Now, we, we see a lot of very important instruction that the Apostle Paul and that Jesus gives us regarding the Lord's Supper. And we're going to look at them this morning. The first thing that we notice is the first question we're going to ask is, number one, when does Paul say that we should do this? When should we observe the Lord's Supper? You know, there, there are churches all over the world who observe the Lord's Supper differently at different times. And, you know, even I'm talking Bible-believing churches, I'm not talking, uh, you know, like the Catholic church where they do it every week and it's a different thing and it doesn't, it's not even really the Lord's Supper, it's totally, but we don't got time to get into that. But different Bible-believing churches observe it in different ways. Some of them do like the other churches. They pass around one cup for everyone to drink from. Ew. Even before COVID, we were never going to do that. Uh, that's just gross. Um, but I'm not saying that they're biblically wrong. I'm just saying, ew, germs. But some churches uh, observe it weekly. Some churches absorb the Lord's Supper monthly. Some observe it quarterly. Every fifth Sunday, they observe the Lord's Supper. Some of them only do it yearly. And every one of them have valid reasons that they do what they do and why they do it the way they do it, and they will argue vehemently that their way is the best way and their way is the only biblical way. There is one place in Scripture where the Bible tells us when we should observe the Lord's Supper, and we just read it. Again, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup. That's it. So when does Paul say we should do it? As often as we want to. As often as we see fit. That's the only instruction about when the Lord's Supper should be observed. Now, if you do a deep dive into the Greek word as often, which I did, then you're going to notice 
it doesn't have a specific timetable attached to it. It doesn't mean, as often means weekly, as often means monthly, as often means quarterly. It doesn't, doesn't give a set timetable. It is used very differently throughout the, the New Testament. There is no English equivalent to this word, and so it's translated a lot of different ways in Scripture. But what it does is it gives a sense of uncertainty. Meaning, there's no set time when you should observe the Lord's Supper. It is up to each church to do it as often as they see fit. So is weekly wrong? No. Is monthly wrong? Of course not. Is doing it quarterly wrong? No. Yearly is not wrong. Now here, we, we tend to do it about four to five times a year. Just at different times throughout the year, whenever the Holy Spirit lays on my heart that we should have over the Lord's Supper, we do that. And one of the reasons we don't do it month, weekly or really monthly is because I don't, I don't like tacking it on at the end of a service. I want to dedicate the entire service to it. Now, so I'm not saying if there's a church that does it weekly and they are a gospel preaching church and they do it weekly and they put it on the end of every service, I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just saying I don't feel I can do it that often and really give it the attention and the focus that it deserves. Maybe they can. Great. When we do it is not really that important. We want to we want to take time to dedicate the entire service. I want to take time to remember and to celebrate all that was accomplished through the gospel. So whenever we do it, though, whether we do it weekly, monthly, yearly, quarterly, once a decade, which I do think is a little too not as often enough, but whenever you do it, when is not important, why is more important. And our heart behind doing it is more important. So Paul says, whenever we do it, the more important thing is that we do it for the right reasons. That brings us to the second question. This is one we're going to focus on mostly this morning. Second question we want to look at is, why does Paul say we should do this? Now, again, a lot of people get hung up on when. I see, again, you know, y'all know on, I'm part of a lot of uh, different Facebook pastor leader groups, and I see a lot of people arguing over some really silly things. Uh, in the church, one of the things they argue on is when. They'll, they'll, they'll argue vehemently about this is when you do the Lord's Supper. I don't care what you think or what you say. This is when is not as important as why. And a lot of Christians get hung up on when when they don't fully understand why we do this. And the why is a lot more important than the when. You know, some believers don't know why we observe the Lord's Supper because no one's ever taught them. They've never learned. They've never been discipled to see the importance and the value of it. Some people have learned why they do it, but they've, they've forgotten because it's become ritual. It's become a ceremony. So I want to give four reasons that the Apostle Paul, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so therefore why God says we should observe the Lord's Supper. 
And hopefully when you, you won't, after we, we see these things, if you, if you are a believer who maybe you've never learned, maybe you'll understand, or maybe it's not clear, maybe you'll, you'll understand now, or maybe it's become too much of a ritual, hopefully you'll see it as what it is, a precious time to remember what God has done for us. So the first reason that Paul says why we observe the Lord's Supper is, number one, to remember what the gospel has done for us in the past. Look again at verse number 25. After the same manner, he also took the cup. When he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus said that when we observe the Lord's Supper, we are to do it in remembrance of him. The, the word that he uses in remembrance is the Greek word that literally translates to our English word, Memorial. In the Greek, it means to look back in the past and remember an experience, to remember a moment, and to reflect on its meaning, to reflect on its value. It's more than just looking back and saying, oh, I remember when I was a kid and that happened. But it's to look back and say, I remember when that happened and what it did for me and how it changed me. And how it affected me. This isn't a ritual that, that we are just run through. But it is a time for us to pause, to think back, and to reflect on the glory of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Alan Redpath says it this way. <clears throat> he says, it is the one who has given something for us at Calvary asking each of us to remember his death, to put at that very center of, to put that at the very center of our Christian experience. It is he who loved us even unto death, calling us out from the busyness and often the barrenness of all our pressure and work that we might wait upon him in the stillness of our hearts and worship him. He points us back, not to his life or example, but to that which is at the very heart of the Christian gospel, the atonement of the cross, the finished work of Calvary, and the empty tomb. Jesus invites us to, to step out of the, the busyness of our life, to take some time and reflect on his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and to reflect on not just the events as they happened, but to reflect on what they've accomplished in our life, what they've done for us. How often do we honestly really do that? So we just got finished celebrating the Christmas holiday. And I know y'all are, again, y'all are church members who came to church the day after Christmas. I'm literally preaching to the choir. Y'all are the, the creme de la creme of the believers. Now, I know, some, and I know somebody's watching on Facebook, like Lewis and Lucy are traveling. They're like, well, what? I'm not faulting them, but some of you I am. Um, but anyway, so y'all are like, y'all are, are good Christians, right? So give yourself a pat on the back and say, I'm a good believer, right? But Jesus, you know, we just finished celebrating Christmas, and we, we, are, we, we reflected on his birth. And I hope as believers... You took some time and you read the Christmas story. You read Luke chapter 2. And you remembered, you said, God, maybe as you prayed over your Christmas meal, you took some time and said, Lord, thank you for coming for me. 
Thank you for the, the truth that so many thousands of years ago, God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we, we focused on his birth. But how did you, did you take time when you were thinking about we're celebrating the birth of Jesus to reflect on the fact that his birth is what led to your redemption? Yeah, we're so grateful for his birth because without it, we wouldn't have his death. We wouldn't have his resurrection. We would have no hope of salvation. We tend to run past the reality of the gospel. We become so familiar with it that it doesn't move us anymore. It doesn't affect us anymore. Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper so that we could tune everything else out. We could focus on what he accomplished through the gospel. And in the Lord's Supper, he gives us two images to remember that. He gives us the bread and the cup. The bread reminds us of the truth of the incarnation of God. It gives us the doctrine of the incarnation of God. What is that? That is the truth that God became man. Deity put on humanity. Jesus is eternal. And again, sometimes in our modern Christianity, we, we know that, but we kind of run past that. Yeah, Jesus is eternal. Everything, you know, it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But they're all three in one. They're all eternal. Before there was ever anything, before there was ever let there be light, before there were ever angels to praise Jesus, there was Jesus. He is eternal. And I've read a lot of really smart theologians who are a lot smarter than me, not just in Bible theology, but also I read this one. He's a physicist who is a believer, and he tried to explain God's eternity and how that really plays out in our finite minds. And he, he tried to explain it that since, you know, God is eternal and God is light, that God can look down from heaven and see all of time spread out before him. He can see Adam in the garden and he can see what's happening right now. And he can see the end of the world all at once. I can't wrap my brain around that. But God exists outside of time. But at a point in time, God stepped out of eternity and came, into, came to earth. He came to us at a certain point in time. And so the bread reminds us that yes, Jesus is 100% man. He suffered as a man. He died as a man. He lived a sinless life as a man. But he's also 100% God. He has the power and the holiness and the righteousness of God. So if the blood, the body, the bread reminds us of the incarnation of Jesus in Colossians 2.9. Bible says, for in him, that's in Jesus, lives all the fullness of Godhead bodily. That verse literally means Jesus is God with skin on. You know, people always ask, you know, you know what, is, what is God really like? If we want to know what God's like, just look at Jesus, because Jesus is God. He's God in the flesh. So we can see his, his character. We can see his compassion. We can see his passion and his love all in Jesus. And so the bread forces us to remember, forces us to praise and worship the truth that God became man for us. What about the cup? 
the cup is a symbol of Jesus' blood that was shed for us. It reminds us of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. What's that mean? It means he was our substitute. He stood in our place. He died the death that we should have died. He died the death that we deserve. When he hung on the cross, God poured the wrath of sin for all mankind, for all of our sin. He poured that wrath out on Jesus so we don't have to suffer it. 2 Corinthians 5 says it this way. It says, God made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is the message of the gospel. That is the great exchange. Jesus became our sin and we became his righteousness. That's what the gospel is. And the elements, they are reminders of what Jesus did through his death, burial, and resurrection. But there's another reason that Paul says why we should observe the Supper. Number two, to proclaim the power of of the gospel in the present. Look at verse 26 again of 1 Corinthians 11. He says, as often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death. The word proclaim means to declare openly, to announce. The same Greek word is used all throughout the book of Acts talking about the apostles and the first church, talking about how they proclaimed or preached the gospel. You know, the church in America, and again, I'm not talking about us, but a little bit about us. The church in America has become very self-focused. And look, I know, and look, there's a lot of false churches out there that get caught up in kind of self-help theology and the prosperity gospel. And there's a new movement coming up called the else need gospel. Say, what is that? It's crazy. I'm not even going to get into it. But and so they 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 get in and and tied. Uh, they get hung up on all these things and they forget about proclaiming the gospel. But even gospel preaching churches, especially the last couple of years, have become very kind of self not self help but self uh, per, 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 preserving. I don't know. What I'm, I didn't write it down. I'm going off script here. We've become, how can we keep alive? How can we protect ourselves? How can we make sure that we're doing or we're staying where we need to be? And we, we've gotten away from the need and the truth that we are to proclaim the gospel. But a lot of churches, you can, you can go to church and you can hear about how to have to have a happy home. You can hear about how to get out of debt, how to conquer your anxiety, but never hear the gospel. And a lot of reasons because... They don't want to offend people. The gospel is offensive. The gospel tells you that you were born a sinner condemned and deserving of hell. 
The gospel tells you that because you're a sinner, there's nothing you can do to stop that. You can't be good enough. You can't go to church enough. You can't give enough money that because you are an enemy of God, there is nothing you can do in your own strength and your own ability to reconcile yourself to God the Father. The gospel says you are condemned and doomed to hell and you deserve it. But the gospel also says that God loved you so much that he did for you what you could never do. He became man. He lived the sinless life we could have never lived. He suffered and died on the cross for our sin, that he literally became sin for me. He took my sin on himself and allowed God to pour out his wrath for that sin on him so I wouldn't have to do it. But because he was God and because he is sinless, he rose again, redeeming us to God the Father. That's what the gospel tells us. The gospel tells us that God did for us we could never do. And the Lord's Supper reminds us of what that does for us now. The only hope for America is not ever going to be found in politics. I know a lot of believers get all hung up on, on politics and we got to get, you know, we got to get this politician in or we got to get that politician in or we got to get rid of this politician and we got to pass all these laws. We gotta, look, the hope of America is never going to be found in politics. It is only found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The hope of the world is only found in the gospel of Jesus. And we, as God's people, are to proclaim the truth of the gospel so that people who need it will hear it and accept the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as their payment for their sins. This helps us proclaim the power of the gospel in the present. Third thing it does, it helps us to celebrate what the gospel will do in the future. Look at verse number 26 again. <clears throat> it says, For often as you drink, uh, eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death. What's the, Latin, the next word say? Till he comes. The good news today, Jesus is coming again. I, wanna, I don't think y'all understood me there. All right. Here's the good news today. Jesus is coming again. Can I get an amen? Amen. One day, the Bible tells us, and look, here's the thing. We don't know when it could be. It could be today. It could be right now. But one day, the Bible says, the skies will open and Jesus will descend with the shout of the archangel. The trumpet of God will sound. Those who have died and believed in Christ before will rise again. And then those who remain will catch up with them and meet Jesus in the air. And we will live with him for all of eternity. That's good news today. Because that tells us this world isn't all there is. Look, this world is rough. I, I, I understand that. Look, somebody else on my Facebook post, I had, and it wasn't because of us, our family is great, and I praise God for that, but I witnessed someone having the worst Christmas Eve imaginable. The pain that they had to go through, and I had to be a witness and try to be a comfort to any in those situations. You're like, how do you... 
I don't even know how to say, I, I don't want how to comfort someone in this and just be there and say, I'm praying for you. This world is terrible. It's pain. It's heartbreak. It's sickness. It's disease. It's, it's anxiety and fear and depression and anger and hate. But that's not all there is for us because we know no matter how bad it gets here, God is coming back to get us. This world isn't all there is. He is coming again to receive us. So the Lord's Supper, it's not just a memorial to his death, but it's a celebration that he is alive today and he is coming again to get us. But there's a fourth thing Paul says the Lord's Supper should do. Why she would observe the Lord's Supper? Fourth thing he says we should absorb the Lord's Supper is to examine the impact of the gospel on me. Not just me, by the way. I'm not saying the Lord's Supper is so that y'all can observe it. No, no, no. That me is you. So to observe the impact of the gospel on you. Look at verse 28 again. <clears throat> but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink. Uh, and so uh, let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now, we've talked about this before. It, that word unworthily doesn't mean that you are unworthy because none of us are worthy of the gospel. But through the gospel, we are made worthy before God. It's doing it in an unworthy manner. But I don't want to focus on that word. I want to focus on the word examine. Let a man examine himself. The Greek word there means to put to trial, to test by questioning. So Paul says the Lord's Supper, it's not just a time to remember what the gospel did in the past. It's not just a time to remember what the gospel does for us now. It's not just a time to, to reflect and praise what the gospel is going to do in the future. But it's a time for us to say, what is the gospel doing in my life right now? What impact has the Lord's Supper, has the gospel done to me? So before we take the Lord's Supper, Paul says we are to examine our hearts, to prepare our hearts to observe this. We are to examine our fellowship with God. First thing you need to know is do you know him as your savior? If you have never accepted the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ as payment for your sins and that only not oh I'm going to accept the gospel and my church membership I'm going to accept the gospel and my good works no it's I'm going to accept the gospel only because none of that matters because none of that can do anything for me I accept what he did only as payment for my sins if you've never done that the Lord's Supper is not for you if you don't know him as your savior this isn't for you because you don't need a ceremony. You need a savior. You don't need a religion or a ritual. You need a relationship with God alone. All in, but now the good thing is if you're sitting here or you're watching and you're like, I don't know if I've ever done that. Everything's been done for you. Jesus came for you. 
Jesus lived a sinless life for you. Jesus died in your place. He was buried and rose again for you. And all you got to do is say, Jesus, I trust you and you alone as payment for my sins and accept him as your savior. That's all you got to do. There's no rigmarole. There's no run around. There's no, you know, things you got a checklist you got to do. All you got to do is say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know because I'm a sinner, I'm going to hell. I know I can't do anything for it. You did it all for me and accept what you did as payment for my sin. That's it. And once you do that, you are made a child of God. You have a relationship with God the Father. But maybe you're here this morning, you're like me, you are saved. You know for sure. If you died right now, you'd open your eyes in heaven. You know right now that if the trumpet sounded right now, you'd go up to meet him in the air. And only, you know, April and a few other people would be left. But you know that you know that you know that you're saved. You still got to examine yourself. Examine your heart and say, God, is there, is there any unconfessed sin between me and you? Look, I do that, I do that often. Because sometimes I'll, I'll, be, I'll be reading my Bible, I'll be praying, I just don't feel the Spirit of God. And so I'll say, God... Is there any unconfessed? And sometimes God brings to my mind, yeah, remember how you were jerked to your wife the other day and you didn't make that right? And I'm like, but she deserved it, Jesus. He's like, yeah, I know, but still, you got to make it right. Or there, there's some, but God will remind me, hey, there's that sin you committed that you didn't, you, did, you, didn't, you never got right. Now gotta, you got to get that right. Maybe there's a sin you know you're committing and you don't want to make it right. Look, I'm going to warn you, if that's, if that's who you are, if you're like, I know my sin and I enjoy it and I'm never going to get it right, do not take this. Paul gives us a warning there. Paul says there are a lot of you who are sick. Some of you are dead because you're not taking this worthily. So you've got to examine your heart and say, God, is there any unconfessed sin? Is there any anger? Is there any bitterness between me and you that I need to get right? Any impure relationship I need to correct or confess before I get with you? But not just examine your relationship with, with you and God. Examine your relationship between you and other believers. Other church members. Other fellow believers in Christ. Look at, flip over to uh, chapter, we're still in verse chapter 11, but flip over to verse 17. Again, he's... Paul, giving instruction about the Lord's Supper, he says, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. Division there in the Greek means a tear or a rip. What Paul is saying is before we take the Lord's Supper, we need to examine our hearts and say, is there anything between me and God? Is there anything between me and another brother or sister in Christ? Any, any conflict, any difficulty I need to get right, any anger I haven't confessed or haven't made right with them, any broken relationships. Paul says that we are to examine ourselves and not take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Look, Charles Stanley says this about examining yourself. He says, I like to imagine that I can turn 360 degrees and not think of a soul that I have offended or a grudge I am harboring. 
Frankly, I think if we were really honest during this time of reflection and examination, there would be a rustling as people, uh, rustling of people as one believer seeks out another to ask forgiveness. Look at verse 27 in, in chapter 11. It says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord uh, unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. That's a heavy statement there. He says, if you drink it unwor- in an unworthy manner, meaning if you, if you observe the Lord's Supper and you haven't made things right with God, or you haven't made things right with other believers, then you are guilty of the Lord's death. You are just as guilty as the Jewish believers who sentenced him to death, as the Roman guards who, who killed him. It is not a ritual. Paul is saying that the Lord's Supper needs to be taken seriously. If we don't examine ourselves and take it in a worthy manner, then we are guilty of the body and the blood. That means we dishonor the one who this is meant to be a memorial to. So right now I'm going to have Trudy come. He's going to play softly on the piano. And I just want us to take some time before we observe the Lord's Supper to examine ourselves. Maybe you need to come forward to the altar. You can take care of it in your pew. Maybe you need to... And look, God may remind, may tell you, hey, there's that, there's that other believer who you've got a problem with and they're not here or they're not a church member and you can't... I don't want you to leave in church. But if you need to, leave church. But maybe just say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to make it right as soon as I'm done here. Lord, I'm going to confess my sin to you. I'm going to confess my sin and what I've done. First of all, examine, make sure you're a child of God. If you're not a child of God, again, this is not for you. This is not what you need to be doing. You need to accept him as your savior. And if that's the case and you're here and you want to come forward and take care of it, we can take care of it. But maybe you're here and you just need to deal with the Lord. So we're, gonna, we're not going to even stand. I just want you all to stay in your seat. If you want to come forward, you can. But let's just take a few moments and examine ourselves and make sure that we are taking the Lord's Supper.